My name is Kevin Bates and I'm a pastor in Sherwood, Oregon. Each and every week we desire to take theological principles, biblical stories, and narratives in all the genre of scriptures, uh, all the genres of scripture and help you immerse yourself in order to embody and apply them to your everyday life. I want to encourage you to tune into this online broadcast each and every week. Ways you can support our ministry is first follow our Instagram page, then you can like our Facebook page. You can listen to this broadcast and make comments on whatever social media channel you listen to. And if you're listening to it live, you can make those comments and we'll answer in real time. You can financially support our ministry through our uh, website, resonatelife.org, under the Give tab. So you are joining us live on Thursday night at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time for this podcast. And this will be replayed as a part of our Sunday morning broadcast at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Every Thursday night, you come together for this broadcast to have a live and better understanding of the material we're covering. And so we call this a deeper dive, hopefully a deeper dive. Sometimes it's just surface. Sometimes it's way in the caverns of the ocean. But if you have been following us online, you will remember that we are in a series called Atlas of the Heart. And today we're talking about the biblical view of emotions when life is good. All right. I am joined today with Shreya Bonner and Jake Flug, two of my leaders at Resonate. Good evening, Shreya and Jake. Here we are again. Here we are again. Good evening, Kevin. Good evening. All right. Well, I have no tidbits uh, besides I've been researching uh, dinosaur-sized armadillos and sloths. I thought uh, when I went to Alaska, a handful, what'd you say? Going to start your fossil collection? Yeah, exactly. When I was up in Alaska, uh, my daughter, we were looking for wildlife, and my oldest daughter was with us. Uh, We didn't have our youngest at the time, but our oldest daughter was with us, and so we were driving through the Yukon and through Alaska, and our whole trip, we were like, what kind of wildlife are we going to find that's unique? And so the story goes that we are going to try to find a sloth in the Yukon and in Alaska. And guess what? We found one in a museum, a skeleton of a life-size dinosaur Jurassic-styled sloth. It was probably twice or three times the size or tall of a human being and very, very round. So I couldn't imagine that but also in that museum was a, a Jurassic styled beaver, which was probably twice the size of the Jurassic styled sloth. Now we have being dug up over the last several years Jurassic sized armadillos. So I thought that I would just share that in my dinosaur and your dinosaur styled. Uh, interest, Shreya. I'm really glad that you have um, some interest in fossils and a little bit of uh, history, evolution there. So I'm glad that that we uh, share some interests. So, any other thoughts by you guys before we get started on when life is good? <clears throat> this we talked about how this is an easy subject to talk about. I think. The hardship is is when right now life doesn't feel like it's good. 
Well, yeah, so, yeah, sure. Making making space for that tonight as well, and we're not trying to placate or cover up the complex emotions that people are are feeling right now, especially. Yeah, I think July 4th was really difficult for a lot of people. I mean, you saw it on social media channels all over mm -hmm. the place that there were some people that were very patriotic and flying the flag and very, you know, pro-nation and such. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there was a lot of people that were not so uh, excited about July 4th this year. Well, and so I thought, I thought that was interesting. Seven mass shootings on July 4th. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't. Uh, I didn't hear that statistic. Yeah, it was. It was quite a few, and Highland was obviously the the, the biggest. But a lot's been a lot's mm -hmm. been going on in the last bit. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tonight we're not really trying to cover up the difficulty of life, like Jake said. Um, life can be good. Even in the midst of pain, life can be good. Although we do, we do uh, many times placate or use the word good inappropriately. So I'd just like to start out by making sure that our definition of good is good. And so in the Old Testament, in the creation narrative, you'll see the Hebrew word tov. And tov is the word that is translated in English as, in many Bibles, as good. And tov, when God created, you know, light and darkness and, and such, at the end of the day, God said, it is good. God looked upon creation and said it's good. So you can't take the word good without looked upon. So he looked upon the seas parted from the land, the trees, the birds of the air, the fields, the grasses, the, the, the livestock, you know, everything that was created wasn't livestock back then. <laughs> but what'd you say? The dinosaurs. The dinosaur <laughs> livestock. Um, looked upon creation and said it was good looked upon it and then when he created human beings he looked upon the human beings and said tov ov which means what sharia very good very good very good thank you sharia that's my hebrew scholar here <laughs> so so god looked on creation and human beings and said it was very good so you can take the word good and actually translate it because it has a nuance of visual aesthetic. It also is a subjective judgment. So when God looks upon creation and mm -hmm. subjectively judges, hmm, what does my handiwork look like, right? And looks at it and says, it's actually beautiful. So Tove can be translated, and I, I would venture to argue that needs to be properly translated as beautiful. When you put beautiful in for good, all of a sudden those scriptures change dramatically. And so <clears throat> the feelings, if I can then rephrase Atlas of the Heart and when uh, life 
is beautiful. The emotions we experience when life is beautiful. Good is, you know, such a uh, cliche, but also just a thrown around word that really we irresponsibly throw around. So how are you doing today? I'm good. Really, that's just shut up and get out of my way. I don't want to answer your question, especially when life is not good for me. I just say, yeah, I'm good. And so it's kind of like a shoe fly get away from me type of statement. It's kind of like saying, hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. Thanks for asking. And just we walk on by. So it's a pleasantry. It's not necessarily a description of anything. When you say good dog, you say good boy. We apply it to so many different either, you know, that was good food. That was a good time. So whether it be a a uh, object or whether it be an animal or a person, we always use the word good. Yet if you say beautiful, that is an aesthetic subjective judgment. And so when we look at creation, we can say it's beautiful. So what do the what are the emotions that we experience when life is good or when life is beautiful? Uh, joy, happiness, calm, contentment, gratitude, foreboding joy, relief, and tranquility. Let's see that slide, Rob. Joy, happiness, calm, contentment, gratitude, foreboding joy, relief, and tranquility. Tranquility. Can I say that word? Tranquility. Hmm. Okay. So let's get into it. Uh, where do we go? Places we go when life is beautiful. And tonight, we really don't have time to go over all of them. And so we're not saying that the others are less important. Although we, when you preach on something or speak on something long enough, uh, you know, sometimes you need to teach on it more because people are just not getting it or I'm not getting it. Um, so joy, happiness, calm, and contentment are really important. And also foreboding joy, relief, and tranquility are also very important. But gratitude, there's something very special about the idea of gratitude. And so we're going to spend our entire time on gratitude. We're going to split up the time tonight and how to be grateful, um, thankful, have gratitude, have thankfulness in our life. We have a ton of scripture that supports being grateful. Again, remember that gratefulness is not just a platitude or a shoe fly don't bother me type of statement. When you have gratefulness, there's a depth to it. There's a uh, residence in the soul to it. It's more of a disposition. It's more of an attitude. It's more of an ethos. It's more of our being. So when we are grateful, it has very physical properties. It has emotional properties and psychological properties that we are going to cover tonight. All right. So we do have a long scripture that we're going to walk through. And Sheree is going to take the floor. She's going to speak on Leviticus of all books. Leviticus Woo 3. Woo I am not thankful um, to be in Leviticus. In Leviticus. There's only a certain books that, you know, like you just go, oh, man, we're in Leviticus, we're in Numbers, we're in Deuteronomy, perfect. Right. Okay, so let's cover Leviticus 3, talking about 
some kind of offering that Shreya is going to talk about and enlighten us. Please, Shreya, take it. Okay. Uh, Rob, do you have that scripture for us? I can read it on my phone, too, if not. Okay, phone it is. We're in Leviticus 3, folks. If the offering is a communal sacrifice of well-being, the one who offers the herd animal, whether it is male or female, must present a flawless specimen before the Lord. You must press your hand on the head of the offering and slaughter it at the meeting tent's entrance. Aaron's sons, the priest, will toss the blood against every side of the altar. Then you can offer a food gift to the Lord from the communal sacrifice of well-being. The fat that covers and surrounds the insides, the two kidneys and the fat around them at the loins, and the lobe on the liver, which should be removed with the kidneys. Aaron's sons will completely burn all of this on the altar, along with the entirely burned offering on the wood that is on the altar fire, as a food gift of soothing smell to the Lord. Um, I'm going to pause it there because the second half is virtually the same. Um, but this wow, is that just, just does not seem like something to start out with gratefulness with. Just cut, I slice, mean, and dice that for me. Help me pasta, with that. An animal barbecue. But I think um, this is one of the first places where we see an idea of thankfulness in Scripture, or um, at least we see that word translated. Uh, in the CEB, which we're using right now, it says a sacrifice of well-being. Um, mm -hmm. There's other translations that use the translation um, peace offering, and then some also use thank offering. Um, what I like about this passage is the way it starts. If the mm -hmm. offering is communal sacrifice of well-being, um, and I think it's beautiful. Um, Absolutely. Okay. It's community-based, and it's an expression of gratitude. There's this idea that um, gratitude brings all of God's people together as a community. Mm -hmm. So talk about that a little bit. I want to find out more about that. You've mentioned that several times in our pre-work, and mm -hmm. I think that that's a really important, really important idea. Yeah, the first thing that I think of um, actually comes from Jake and Jake's community group years ago. Oh, no. Because food brings people together. <laughs> Say again? Food brings people together. We made dinner together oh, just yeah. about okay. um, because food brings people together. Um, and it was, it was one of the more important parts. Like we talked about Jesus and we studied scripture and all that. Um, Thank you. But Thank you. Together as a community and building that community around the table um, was foundational. And I think you've got a solid basis in the text there, Jake. Thanks. That's awesome. Good job. Good job, me, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's really interesting about that passage of scripture, the way that I read it, and correct me if I'm wrong, Shreya, because I think that I, I can be, um, especially when it comes to the Hebrew, that word in Leviticus 3, uh, verse 1, yeah. the one that's translated as peace offering, NIV is fellowship offering, 
and then the well-being, like the communal well-being. That word is shalom. Can you look that up really quick for me? Because when I read that, I read shalom. So if you want to do a quick word study for us, throw up the Hebrew. And I don't know if that's Jake's job or your job, Shreya. It's Oh, how to do it on on somebody else's screen. Okay. Uh, oh, I guess. Hold on. Keep talking and then I'll pull it up. Give me a second. Keep talking. Okay. Just talk. I, okay. I, so the I, I what'd you say? Lifetime. Three, one. Thank you. Leviticus three, one. The way that I read that in Hebrew is the Shalem, the Shalom. And so there's a theology of Shalom that mm -hmm. is really important, especially a Jewish theology of Shalom that has more to do with covenant or co-covenant being. And so when you look at the idea of Shalom in the Bible, just the meaning of Shalom is the revelation that all things are reconciled. And so when we come together, we have the revelation of all things reconciled in the Shalom. So if it is a gratitude of well-being, we're going to be together in the reconciliation of all things. That's a little bit deeper than, hey, I'm really grateful you're here. You know, <laughs> I think that that's great. But I think, again, so Jake, do you have that scripture for us? So in order for me to throw it up. Um, oh, got it. We're on a different platform, aren't we? No, I need Google Chrome. Which... Well, I can just, what I can do Hold is. Give me, give me a moment. Rob, I'm going to send you an email, okay, buddy? You don't have. You don't have. So uh, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to put this in the notes in the comments. Can I comment? Oh, I can't uh, comment. No, you can't. Okay, so I'm going to throw this up, Sharia, in our text thread. We're going to have to do this real time. And so you tell me what that word is, Sharia, that I just texted you. Oh. Okay. Yeah, that's Shalom. Okay, is that the Shalom? Yeah, that's the noun form. Okay, the noun form of Shalom. Okay, so I was right with Hebrew. Okay, so I'm so glad that I didn't say all that and had to retract it. Um, so the theology of Shalom, the way that I understand the Mishnah and the, the Halakhic interpretations and such of Shalom, is the theology of reconciliation. That, so, that there's a right relationship with God right relationship with others and right relationship with creation. Yes. And that is the peace. And, and that's self. the gratitude that we have. What? And, and self. self. Did we? <clears throat> we need a right yeah. relationship. Oh, yes, yes, too. yes. Self. Yes, absolutely. So if you want Jake, do you have anything to go? Yeah, a couple. Let Rob, throw it back up again, buddy. <laughs> there we so, go. Ian, I just had to take a screenshot, but I'm sorry. You're fine. The, um, yeah. let's see if I can do this right here. I usually have my cursor and my computer's back in this word right here. Yeah. Shalom. 
And the next word over, it's opposite to what we read it as. The next, thanks, Rob. The next word over here is offering. So a peace, peace offering or a complete peace. And when you look at the theology of shalom itself or the, the, the theological idea, especially to, uh, you can pull it down there, Rob, it's all good. Um, especially the idea of in in Second Temple Judaism, which Isaiah would be writing in. You look at Isaiah 9. Right. And it is the, it is, it, it shows a picture of, of a creation that is not against itself. And so mm-hmm. the, oh gosh, I wish I could, the lion will lie down with the lamb. The child would put his hand in the asp's den, but it will not be struck. And there's a whole a whole list of natural enemies that were no longer at odds with each other because of the perfect peace of shalom. And so um, we'll get into later when we get into Isaiah later on uh, during my section, especially like looking at. But shalom is a it's a uh, end of times idea where it's it's not the ending of things it's the bringing about peace of things and so in scripture there's more to point towards this idea that we are to create peace on earth to usher in the new creation of Christ rather than Christ will come down and and everything is going to burn that doesn't really exist sorry to burst of the bubble <laughs> well, I I had to look around for a little bit when it came to the idea of gratitude and where the idea of gratitude was coming from and how it actually is coming from gratia, the, the Latin for grace. So mm-hmm. gratitude actually comes from that Latin word that's translated grace, which could be translated back to what's the Greek word for grace? I just lost it. Charis. 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 Yeah, okay. So Charis. So 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 grace, right? Um and then that's where you could you could uh Eucharisteo. Eucharisteo. Thank you for pronouncing that for me. Eucharisteo. So that's the grace, thankfulness, gratitude um, offering. That's the Eucharist. That's the communion offering. So gratitude is at the heart of the sacrifice of Christ. Wow. Now that, that just is not like, hey, thanks for coming. You know, so, so thanks for the, thanks for dinner. Um, that's a little bit more. That's kind of like the last supper, the sacrifice of Christ all things are healed the world is reconciled the entire creation is now through christ at shalom so i had to look around there's a lady by the name of nicole higgins i wish i could put her picture up there um i forgot to actually send it over rob it's okay you can look her up later nicole higgins is a uh, barista coffee shop owner from Orlando, florida and she does work in social reconciliation 
and uses her shops to bring social reconciliation and justice to Orlando, Florida. She's crossing bridges and and really doing a lot of good work. It reminds me um, of just relationship building in the marketplace. So when we are relationship building in the marketplace, when we are bringing shalom to the world, that is Eucharisteo. That is the Eucharist. That's communion. And that is at the heart of the Christ sacrifice. So it makes sense that a Thanksgiving offering, peace offering of well-being, would be in Leviticus 3, because sacrifice is at the heart of Eucharisteo. Those sacrifices meant something bigger. They were a foreshadow of something bigger, um, mm -hmm. type, anti-type, type, type of thing. Okay, so let's now be grateful with Scripture. So now we have a theology of shalom. We have a theology of gratitude established a little bit. There's a lot more work to be done. Uh, but let's be a little bit grateful with scripture. How are we to be grateful as Jesus is grateful with scripture? Jake, you're going to take this one. I'm, I'm trying to bridge that gap. Hold on a moment fast. Okay. I'm going to read first the passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 reads in the Common English Bible, The Lord's God's Spirit is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the release for the captives and liberation for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vindication for our God to comfort all who mourn and then throw up a Luke passage for me, Rob. Some translations say vengeance instead of vindication, the vengeance of God and the year of the Lord's favor. That's also translated as the year of Jubilee. Yeah. Luke four, 17-22 said the synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Notice these words. Because the Lord has appointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release the prisoners, and recovery of the sight, and recovery of the sight of the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And there he stops. No vindication. No, no, uh, go keep, keep it up, Rob, for me. Sorry, buddy. No vindication, no, no justice, nothing besides grace. He rolled the scroll and gave it back to the synagogue assistant. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him because that was a uncouth thing to do. And he began to explain to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus. So impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? Okay, take it down for me. The idea of, of Jesus with scripture is Jesus quotes the Old Testament a lot throughout his ministry. And when you scripture wasn't the New Testament 
and it, the New Testament wasn't written a long time after Jesus has died. And so the scripture that we have in quoted in was uh, was the Old Testament. There is there is some nuance to that, which I don't think I need to explain tonight. Um, but all the gospels pulled from one source called called Q form, and but Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. And when he pulled out from the Old Testament, he chose passages of love, of grace, of jubilee, of shalom peace, like we had talked about earlier. He quoted passages of redemption, of sacrifice in in love, but not sacrifice for for um, like so punishment. much. Guilt. Yeah, punishment. There wasn't much punishment in Jesus's language, and so when you when you read the scriptures like what what stands out to me the most when i read these passages of isaiah and of of jesus is the pointing uh, to the year of jubilee and so the queen's jubilee was just up and so i was i was asking is like did the queen release all the prisoners release all debts did she did she return all land to the original owners because of all the uh, empires that she owns and all the different stuff like that that's what jubilee is about it's to the return the reset of creation back to back to order back to what it used to be in and so when jesus teaches his disciples to pray as john's disciples teach now John taught John's disciples, and John the Baptist taught John the Baptist's disciples to pray. And he said, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as Forgive us our debts. And so at that point, that is the that is Jubilee language. And so I would I would argue especially that Jesus was in the form of of being so gracious that he was calling for the release of all prisoners of all debt and he was killed because of that because giving up power is harder than anything else mm -hmm. and so that is the the gratefulness when when Jesus looked at at the old testament he saw something to be grateful for not something to to establish a right to be angry, a right to to destroy, a right for violence. It was always about peace, reconciliation, and about freedom. I think that idea of, of linking the words grace and gratitude is really highlighted there. Jesus brings out the grace that was always present in the old testament yeah <clears throat> i think when when we read the old testament as god is angry and that mm -hmm. and that not just people are angry and they're trying to find god in their anger and trying to write about it at the same time when we anthropomorphize god so much that that it becomes that God is their national narrative. 
and God is the justification for for a lot of evil, then we lose that point of the Old Testament is about grace. I heard it quoted to me today. It's like the Old Testament was was there so that it said that you can't do this on your own. I understand what was being said, yet I don't think that God would put that in front of somebody for shame, for shame's sake, that you can't do this. And it's quoted a lot about the laws, that the law is there so that, that, that we know that we can't meet God's standards. And so that's why the Old Testament is abolished. But Jesus didn't abolish, he fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So the fulfillment is the is grace, is gratitude, and it's and it's a love sacrifice. It's a sacrifice even of, of shalom as we read earlier. So for many years, I mean I've been a preacher for you know a lot of a lot of years now. And almost I've talked too long, maybe, but in my, in my preaching experience, what we've tried to reconcile uh, many, many times in theology is the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and how the God of the Old Testament is violent and kills and is, you know, allows gang rape and all this stuff and, and pestilence and death and, you know, all the sons die and just all this crazy stuff. And then we get into Joshua and judges. And so like, like we, we see, we see God's, God's this violent God. And then all of a sudden in the new Testament, we see, you know, Jesus, you know, sandal wearing, you know, hippie. robe wearing hippie green tea drinking, you know, Jesus <laughs> Fabio looking guy that, you know, it's just peace, man, and just, you know, Jesus saves and, you know, believe in me, follow me, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and life, man. It's like he's like smoking dope or something in the New Testament. <laughs> and in the Old Testament, we have, or in the New Testament, we have this God of peace. In the Old Testament, we have this God of violence. So we've, yeah, God of war. So we always try to reconcile that. Well, that was the God of... God was very active in the Old Testament and very passive in the New Testament. God was very uh, injecting himself in the Old Testament and God doesn't inject himself in the New Testament except in Jesus. So we try to reconcile that. And I'm ready to say this. I mean, this might be a... Yes. So, so, so I'm ready to say this. Let's just slide down the slippery slope. You know, you watch those reels where people are going down water slides that are really just too steep for them to go down, and they just don't have the ability to go down that steep. Let's just slide down and go down the slide, maybe turn sideways, almost die, but we're going to hit water. Okay, we're going to hit water and we're going to be fine, but we might need to take a slippery slope. And this is the slippery slope. Maybe Jesus changed it. We always think that we want to reconcile the Old Testament with the New Testament and say, well, you know, God just maybe took a step back and didn't interject himself anymore, but God doesn't change. Maybe Jesus comes along and changes it. He obviously changes it because he takes scripture and removes 
chunks of scripture that talk about violence and death and pestilence and all these things and the vengeance and judgment of God. And he changes it to the peace and the love and the grace of God. So maybe, just maybe, when Jesus came, he changed things. Now, I know that that's really radical for some people to think that <laughs> Jesus is a change agent. <clears throat> but he did it through scripture. And that's what's very profound in what we're talking about. Because we can say the person of Jesus changed things because he's the sacrifice, the, the, the born son of God, that Jesus so loved the God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. And we have this, you know, gospel, cute, you know, type message for Easter. And, and so we say that, but maybe he was a change agent that maybe, just maybe, he radically changed life, economics, and eternity. And he did it by removing the hateful, vengeance, vindictive death scriptures are you and said, saying, Are you saying that yes. Jesus changed God? Or are you saying that Jesus changed the outlook of the Torah? Well, I believe that Jesus was God. So, so I don't think that Jesus changed god i think jesus changed things so jesus changed life at that moment maybe jesus said i am the way the truth and the life follow me and you will receive eternal shalom versus you know here's a set of rules and regs and follow this and you'll achieve shalom so we say that in that sense no longer do we have to follow the law as paul says we you know, are saved by grace. So we can say that. Maybe Jesus comes along and changes life, changes himself, walks the earth and feels, touches, and sees how beautiful God, or beautiful life is, and changes things. I'm just kind of proposing that as maybe a radical thought. Because that's the that. only explanation. I don't think I don't. I can't find an explanation for why yeah. Jesus would remove Scripture, especially well, the vengeance of God. Well, here I I think I have maybe a, a option for us. Okay. Um, though I do understand what you're saying, and I think what I'm going to say is going to validate what you were saying. So that Good. I hope so. <laughs> Jesus was a was a second temple Jew. And so when we, when we use that phrase, uh, the first temple was Solomon's temple, and then they came, uh, the Jews from the diaspora or the, the uh, exile of Babylon came back, and under the book of Ezra, they rebuild the temple, and people cried because they remembered and heard stories about the glory of Solomon's temple, but now they have this ugly building that they have to call a temple now, and it's it's very sad to them because they can't build it to the glory that it used to be. And so the those Jews moving forward, especially in the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, took the Old Testament and did a, I, I would call it halakhic interpretation. There is the halakhic documents, which, which 
uh, is, is word for the the way or the walk, and that's a later document. But I'm talking about the halakhic Second Temple Jews that they took Old Testament passages, especially Isaiah, Jeremiah, the and but not not the Genesis account usually because that was written after Isaiah and Jeremiah um, took the the uh, and so most of the Torah is actually taken out of that point and they would point from things and would that would take snippets and say this is that it's the this is that interpretation and so um, especially with the Messiah figure Jesus that we have um, Paul is, is the best example where Paul keeps pointing back to Isaiah and Jeremiah and say, look, this is who, who Jesus was. This, this is that. Um, and so, I mean, it's pretty easy to see as well, but in Paul's even pointing back, Paul just skips massive sections and just piecemeals things together. And if you read like footnotes on the bottom of their, your Bible page, if you have them, you'll see where it is just a, a mass amount of, of uh, uh, footnotes because Paul is just pulling from all over based on his knowledge and memory. And so Jesus in there, I think he left out huge amounts of scripture as well that he would even claim was scripture just to prove a point of that this needs to change. So let me help me to simplify all that you were saying. All I'm saying, and I'll quote Richard Rohr, who's a great theologian. So Richard Rohr says Jesus left out like most of the Old Testament in his teaching. So doesn't quote anything from Joshua or Judges. Quotes one scripture from Leviticus. You would think that with a Levitical priesthood and a, a rabbi, you would think that he would have something to pull from Leviticus, but he's, you know, alludes to love your neighbor as yourself. So that's, that's it from Leviticus. And we have was the whole thou shalt nots all the way down. And in the middle of that, the thou shalt nots, there is a thou shalt. And Jesus takes that one out and just leaves all the thou shouts to shout by themselves. Right. Or Numbers 5 compared to the Luke passage where we've taught on. So Numbers 5, we have an adulterous woman that has to go to the temple and goes through this ritual and drinks some herbal poison and basically has an abortion. And we have this like horrific Numbers 5. And the woman that is caught in adultery in Luke, we have this, those of you who sin... Have, are without sin cast the first stone passage. So, so Jesus being a good rabbi should have referred back to Numbers 5 and said, okay, let's take her to the temple and drink some poison. Instead, he changes things. Mm -hmm. He mm -hmm. changes things. And so this is just my encouragement. How do we have gratitude with Scripture? I think our focus needs to change with Scripture. And this is my, you know, okay, we're going to hit some water eventually, but maybe we're going to turn sideways first in the, in the shoot. Maybe we need to focus on the doctrine of grace 
over the doctrine of sin. I don't see Jesus taking anybody to the temple to drink some poison. I think what I read Jesus doing is he's offering people lots of grace and forgiveness all along the way, not just some event on the cross, not some, you know, father, father, wife, you've forsaken me moment, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're back and walking around with people and he's offering people help. He's crying over a best friend, you know, that's in a tomb, you know, in a, in a, in a, uh, you know, a state of death. So, and resurrects him. So you, so you, you think about the compassion Jesus has in in the New Testament compared to what he should be doing as a rabbi in the Old Testament. So I so I look at the doctrine of grace. Jesus has this strong, notorious sinners around the table, tax collector, um, Zacchaeus. You know, hey, let's come over. I'm going to your house for dinner. Invites himself over for dinner. So the idea of grace. So I'm proposing something here that maybe much of our toxic, toxic, toxic Christianity and church praxis is because we focus mostly, like a large percentage, of our time, energy, preaching, and practice on the doctrine of sin versus the doctrine of grace yeah yeah i think jesus said very little about sin mm -hmm. i think that yeah that is probably the one the, the i think jesus actually had more to say about people who, uh, who held people in the position of sinner rather than the actual sinner right. themselves well, most of the stuff that he criticized was about the Pharisees, the teachers of yeah. the law. They were going to receive the gnashing of the teeth. You know, they were going to be thrown in the pits of, you know, Gehenna and all these good places that we read about, you know, garbage dumps and hell and, you know, some dude with a spiky hat and a pitchfork and, you know, a red cape, you know, Dante's Inferno. So, so that we, you know, come up with our versions of hell. So Jesus looks at the teachers of the law and says, you're going to want, you're the ones that are like out. You're the ones that are like on the outside. The inside people are, you know, the prostitute, the tax collector, the, the thief, the, the, you know, the nobody, uh, they're the ones that are, you know, close to me. They're walking alongside of me. Um, the ones that have screwed up and actually are gracious with themselves and with others okay so Sheree right. answer me this can no, you answer no. me this question or do you have something to say I, about what we just talked I about I do have something to say say it uh, there's the the parable of the person throwing a feast and inviting inviting their friends right inviting the religious people the scribes and the Pharisees and they self-select out um I think it's worth noting that they're not on the outside because Jesus doesn't want them. Um, they self-select out. They're like, no, nah, I'm not going to go to your party. Mm -hmm. mm. And so Jesus says, go to the crossroads, go to the fields, pull in the beggars, pull in the people who don't have a home, clothe them, 
and bring him inside. Right. Because we're still having a... Yeah. Jesus' first miracle. Party. Water to wine. I don't think... I don't think that many religious type people, especially we'll say piety people, have a culture of of gratitude in the mm. sense of having a party. So this is how I'm gonna be so answer me this. Is this wrong, Shreya? Riddle me this. Tell me oh. riddle right. me this. Okay. It's very common for a preacher to stand up on a stage and try to balance the judgment of God with the grace of God. There's some like, like if I, if I look at a, you know, a pencil here, a pen, and there's some balance that I'm trying to find, right? Between God's conviction or the vengeance against sin, is hate of sin and his love through grace, right? So we're balancing that continually, right? So, so when we talk about sin, don't forget that God is a God of grace and love, but don't forget that God is also a God of judgment and wrath. Why? Fear. Might be cynical. I, I'm asking. Um, I'm sorry. Be cynical. I think um, we like it when people are well-behaved because they're easier to manage. Oh, so it really does have to do with power. I, I think so. I mean, <laughs> I, I saw that in Christian school. You know, you teach kids how to be good under the guise of, you know, being good moral Christians when really it just makes your classroom management easier to deal with. Because you can just shame them with religion rather than just saying, hey, guys, hey. you're being jerks. You, you right. Listen in class. Fred of hell is hanging over you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the nationalistic Christians that are out there that we saw this national narrative of Christianity where we're raising a flag of America and, you know, the, the, uh, the God bless America you know, from the mountains to the seas to the, you know, whatever that song is, you know, that we have, we have this worship of the nation and we have a worship of presidents, past president. We have a worship towards like guns and violence, uh, fear and protection. Uh, we have this worship towards morality like we're trying to like regulate morality through law which never works you don't regulate morality through law you can't so like we have this worship of law and order um honestly that produces a very hateful spirit and the fruit of that is hateful so instead of being thankful and inclusive and loving and caring we're so concerned about sin and the doctrine of sin and making sure that everyone lines up to my can i say can i say my white maleness 
Is that fair to say that like in our culture, we try to align people to my whiteness, align people to my maleness. And if you, and, and everything that comes out of that, if you say anything about that, then you're wrong. If you say anything about what I think is godly and moral and righteous, right, then, then you're out. So it becomes this like hateful, hateful narrative of mm -hmm. theology. And so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's where life doesn't feel so good, you know, because that's not the way Jesus, Jesus actually spoke against the empire. He spoke against the nation. He spoke against uh, empires of all kinds, including religious empires. So if you want to get into what Jesus was talking about, I mean, he was not a nationalist. He didn't, you know, sing America the Beautiful he, in, in church. There weren't American flags in the synagogue, you know, type of thing. There weren't. Could you imagine? Can you imagine a Roman flag in the synagogue? I mean, think about that for a second. Would that even, that wouldn't fly um, that Jesus well, was teaching in. The part, the part of the problem at the time is that they were flying Roman standards in the temple. <laughs> But could you imagine Jesus preaching in a synagogue and flying a Roman flag? It would be gone. Right. So I think that I think that we have married things too close in nationalism, but part of nationalism or nationalistic Christianity is deeming uh, and elevating the doctrine of sin uh, over the doctrine mm -hmm. of grace. That's a lot. There's a lot of it. So you hear very hateful spirits. People are just hating hate. I, I hear a lot, a lot of hate from certain people groups. Uh, so, you know, you can, you can rip on, you know, our nation all, all that we want, but honestly, honestly, let's get back to gratitude. gratitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ah! <laughs> like being ungrateful it's hard hard to find things to be grateful mm. for sometimes i know i know tell us that richard Rohr quote sharia that's just oh yeah so good um i think i probably heard this on a podcast cite my sources richard Rohr's a great great guy um and he talks about having um, three basic convictions. Number one is that God is good. Number two is that I am good. And number three is that all of this is going somewhere good. Um, what so I God find encouraging. I am good. We're going somewhere good. Yes. What I find encouraging about that is um, no matter how bogged down Christianity gets with with empire um, and with all this extraneous things that don't really fit the core message, um, that's something I can anchor on to when it's hard to shuffle through all of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Good. Can I can I add more one more to that? I mean, could we say that you are good as well? Mm -hmm. I like think God is good. Good next step. 
Yeah. Like I, God is good. I am good. And you are good. Mm-hmm. And we're all moving towards something good. Together. Together. I, I wish that we could look at scripture that way that that maybe more people, I don't want to speak out universalism at all, um, but maybe more people are going to heaven than we want to realize. Maybe maybe all Mormons are going to heaven. Uh, maybe all Catholics are going to heaven. Maybe, maybe possibly, possibly those that just know God by creation are going to heaven. I don't know. That could just be Roman somewhere. But, <clears throat> but maybe, maybe more people are going to heaven than we realize. And that if we could see through that lens of heaven, that you get to go to heaven and I get to go to heaven. I'm not sure of your faith. Um, maybe the United Methodists are going to heaven and the Church of Christ people are going to heaven as well. I mean, if you think about theologies being at polar opposites. Um, maybe more people are going to heaven than we realize. And if we could look at others that way, maybe life would be a little bit different. Well, heaven's coming here, right? So. Well, yes, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> heaven and earth come together, yeah, right? Maybe maybe suggests that if we're here and heaven's coming here, like maybe we can't. There's escape. more people that are included. Yeah. Maybe we can find a space in heaven. I mean, those of you who are, uh, just questioning what is being said right now. Um, I just want you to be encouraged to maybe open up your idea of a little bit broad. Your doctrine of grace can find, a larger space in your life than your doctors. Why is that? Uh, I think you might have cut out. Did you cut out for you too, Sheree? Yeah. So, oh, maybe. I want to encourage you. Oh, open up. Yeah, I want to encourage you to open up your doctrine of grace. Maybe your doctrine of grace needs to be really fat, like huge in your life. And maybe your doctrine of sin can barely be found. Maybe you would live better. Let's talk about the science of gratitude then, because it's actually scientific. Jake? Oh, that's me. I thought you were going to talk about the psychology of gratitude. I am in the end. Okay. <laughs> I, I am having a hard time bridging the gap of the conversation that we are in for some reason. I know that it's, it's there. Um, what well, do you need help with? Hard transition right in. We're going to take a hard transition right into the science of gratitude. Um, gratitude well, here's the, here's the bridge for you. I'll give you the bridge. Yeah. If we can focus on the positivity of God and less on the critical nature of God, if we can focus on the positive scriptures and leave the vengeance of God at bay, if we can focus on the doctrine of grace more than the doctrine of sin, maybe, just maybe, our, our emotions and our psychology, our psychological minds would be healthier. And so focusing on gratitude actually is a scientific principle. So does that bridge it for you? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Gratitude as as practice in science is that through the, the act of 
finding things to be grateful for, write them down. If you just had the time to write 10 things a day that you were grateful for, at the end of the year, you would have over 3,600 things that you were grateful for. And if you just keep compiling those together more and more and more, the, the more that we focus on good, the more that we focus on grace, the more we focus on the positivity, new neurological pathways are carved in our brain so that we become more positive people, more grateful people. We become more keen on what people are doing right rather than what people are doing wrong. And this is, this is very anti, I'd say, like base human existence that for survival, we focus on the negativity of our events so they don't happen again. The, the negativity of people so they can't hurt us again. And the negativity of ourself so that we are stuck in a safety mode instead of, mm-hmm. instead of pushing ourselves beyond our safe, our safe borders. We keep, we, through negativity, we actually are prisoners to ourselves. And so in cognitive behavioral therapy, especially if I'm going to talk about that kind of science, gratitude plays a a big part in, in reworking your, your brain so that, so that you can become a more aware, a more mindful and a really a, a better person, a more, a more human person. And so as, as we talk that Jesus came to make us us whole human, I think there's a reason that Jesus focused on, on the positive, grace-filled gratitude, and that was because the more that we focus on the positive aspects of life, um, the better that we can become as a community together. I think that a lot of theologies especially have come out because of focusing on the negativity. I think that in time theology, especially like uh, uh, rapture theory, like we're all going to be taken off this earth, all becomes because we are so desperate to get away from ourselves, this life, this place, that we have to imagine heaven somewhere else besides right here. Instead of creating heaven here, we have created heaven to be somewhere else so that we don't have the responsibility to change. I think that's that's also a big a big point in in in, in gratitude. The the science of gratitude is is it, honestly it's it's very Buddhist in the mindset that, that the Buddhists focus on things to be grateful for. Um, that's what people think. I think if you were to reread scripture in a lens of gratitude versus the lens of law and judgment. If you read, reread scripture, especially the New Testament through the lens of anti-empire and economics, that your view of sin and negativity would be much different. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're touching on the psychology of gratitude. So 
to talk about the psychology of gratitude really when in the practice like a buddhist practices gratitude they actually practice gratitude in real time it's one of the paths of the eightfold paths and to downgrade negative emotion and to up this is the dalai lama to up play positive emotion why because there's neural pathways in your brain that actually when those neural pathways follow uh, negative thoughts the touch point is pain so you can actually when you are like incredibly critical or you're incredibly angry or negative you're actually having a physical visceral response because it's touching the neural pathway that follows the same pathway as pain so you can actually be in pain because physical pain because of negative the focus of negative experiences so there's two reasons for it one is our neuroticism and everyone has a level of neuroticism in their life i'm not calling it neurotic i'm saying that everyone has neuroticism in their life which is a focus on what jake was saying like our don't hurt me I'm not going to be in this relationship again because you're abusive, things like that. So there's certain neuroticism that we need to survive. So, so neuroticism is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just when neuroticism becomes a focus in our life that it actually has physical effects. So the next thing that the reason why we are have a high level of neuroticism or lack of gratitude, let's call it now, so we have a lack of gratitude because of consumerism. And this is what Jesus was trying to focus on the economics of things and tearing down empire. Because he knew that our focus on what we didn't have and what we thought we needed to have, empire or big, big, big control. Um, we needed a Caesar in our life, right? We needed wealth and power and control. He knew that those things would tear us apart physically and emotionally and psychologically. So, so uh, gratitude has actually been diminished more and more and more in our modern society. And I think that's where we are at right now is we have a very little sense of gratitude because of really the access to information, but just the modernist society of consumerism. Now, consumerism is not necessarily materialism. It's the consuming of stuff. So if we are consuming information, if we're consuming uh, education to like just educating ourselves to educate ourselves to just get as much knowledge, we end up like Solomon, right? So we're like consuming so much. Um, we're in our modern times, we have a consuming society, which causes us to focus on lack. It causes us to focus on what we don't have versus feeling a sense of appreciation of what we already have and so if you think about like a buddhist has nothing um besides the clothes on their back i've seen some with cell phones a buddhist monk yeah they they have like you know they wear orange robes and the buddhist garb you know has pockets which i've seen one pull out a cell phone before which was quite interesting it's like oh you have a cell phone um but somebody else had to buy him that cell phone and so really uh, they don't have much and they're not able to buy much. It's kind of what the old priesthood was about in the Catholic Church. The vow of poverty was really. And if you think about some of the monks or the 
the uh, Catholic monks, they do take vows of poverty, which yeah. there's right. in a sense like the, the looking, right, looking at trying to be grateful for what they they already have with little or or nothing. Being grateful um, with nature, uh, we look at very like the con consuming of nature when we consummate consume nature in our life not consummate nature consume nature in our life and it's just for our own pleasure where we dominate and control nature there's a lack of or a high level of neuroticism that happens and therefore we need more and more and more so we don't we're not grateful for what we have therefore we don't do anything to protect what we have that's how that plays out so poetically gratitude is called the memory of the heart and the memory of the heart is actually the 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 moral memory that we have or the gratitude memory of our disposition so it's actually a disposition and it's a, an intentional disposition it's not some thing that happens because because gratitude is very hard for human beings we are geared and wired in a certain way that it's very in our fight or flight animalistic mentality you know just as us as homeo sapien, sapiens homeo sapien animals if you think about us as an animal we have a fight or flight mentality and in that fight or flight mentality uh we have a high level of neuroticism that happens um and we you well, know want to hit our hit our enemy back or we want to get all that we can so the the idea of gratitude is very difficult just because we are flesh and bone. Um, but it is considered the, me the, the memory of the heart or a, or a disposition. And gratitude in Catholic theology is the queen of all virtues. So it's the highest level of virtue in uh, Christian religion, which I find really interesting. It's, it's the lowest practice, but the highest... Uh, honored in the highest level of virtue. Lowest so <laughs> gratitude, what'd you say? The lowest practiced. The lowest practiced, but the highest honored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So gratitude uh, in our society right now, it's a, it's a quid pro quo. I give because I get, mm -hmm. or you get because I get, we have this give and take mentality. But gratitude is not quid pro quo. It is, I am grateful because of just who you are. So the psychology of gratitude, paying homage to something outside of us just because it is what it is, and it's because it's good and beautiful, and we revel in that, we marvel in that, we miracleize that, we are enthused about that, we're intentional about being conscious of it, we have joy and tranquility, and we have all these other, and it's, it's in a sense, psychologically healthy for us to be grateful and psychologically damaging for us to be neurotic or have a high level of neuroticism. If we have too high a level of neuroticism, we become anxious, which is not healthy. We have heartbreak and loneliness. We have regret and envy and jealousy and all the things that 
that you can think of that just tear at the soul. It's not the disposition of our soul. It tears at our soul. So this brings up a, I guess, a, a bigger perspective of shifting our focus to, to just looking at who God is. Is God a gracious God? Are you going to focus on that? That 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 idea, that virtuous God, God, that virtue of God is going to be so fat in my life that I can't even see the judgment of God. That's the psychology of that's the psychological practice of Christian gratitude. Uh, are is the queen of all virtues? If it actually is a queen of all virtues, is that going to reign in my soul? Is that going to be my disposition? Is that, or, or is there going to be, am I always incentivizing life, you know, like just give and take and a, a consumeristic lifestyle? Because that's going to, honestly, honestly, that's going to just destroy us. And it has destroyed us. It's divided our nation. It's put us into tribes and, and silos where we're only listening to our own people groups and we can't hear what anyone else is is saying so back to that eucharist every time we take communion it's actually much more profound than just you know chippy chip and a sippy cup um holy communion or the eucharist steo means that i am grateful i am at shalom i'm at shalom with god shalom with myself so god is good i am good and at creation we're all heading towards something that is good so richard or sharia bodner um, it's not until Protestantism, and can I just say Calvinism? Can I just say that out loud? No. Where a strong, strong, strong version of Christianity where God becomes a very cosmic, um, transcendent, vengeful, hateful being sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards famous sermon, right? Where in the new Testament, God doesn't call us sinners. He actually calls us saints and children and sons and daughters and all these beautiful things. Uh, but ungratitude, I guess causes that is we actually develop theology that supports our, our hurtful, hateful, fight or flight self. Mm -hmm. But gratitude supports and creates a theology that is graceful, universal, inclusive, loving, love your neighbor style. So what sounds more like Jesus? I would say that the theology of gratitude sounds more like Jesus versus the theology of ingrateful, which sounds like a monster in the sky and monster of the yeah. deep and the sea and all this stuff. It's like a thankless child, you know, like a thankless child creates monsters as parents. Right? A thankless child creates a monster of a mom and a dad. So if you think about a grateful child creates a very gracious set of parents. So if you can relate that to your thoughts of God and, and what you think of who God is, I think that that is uh, really important. Let's cover some scriptures really quick in our last minutes. Rob, throw up Ezra 3.11. 
let's popcorn this. I'll read one. They praised and gave thanks to the Lord, singing responsively, He is good. His graciousness for Israel lasts forever. All the people shouted with praise to the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's house had been laid. They praised and gave thanks to the Lord, singing responsibly. He is good. His gracious for Israel lasts forever. Let's look at Psalm 7, 17, Shreya. Mm -hmm. But I will... <laughs> <laughs> It's like Pong. We're playing Pong on the screen. But I will thank no one the knows, Lord. No one knows what that is. Yeah. I will sing praises to the name of the Mo Lord Most High. I don't know what Pong Psalm. is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Rob does, yeah. Psalm 9-1. Psalm 9-1, Rob. Okay. Give us that scripture. Oh, got it right in the corner. Yeah. But I will thank you, the Lord, with all my heart. I will talk about your wonderful acts. Awesome. Psalm thirty-five, eighteen. Then I will thank you in the great assembly. I will praise you in a huge crowd of people. Psalm 100. Not Psalm 69. Psalm 104.5, enter his gates with thanks, enter his courtyards with praise, thank him, bless his name, because the Lord is good, his loyal love lasts forever, his faithfulness lasts generation after generation. That's a song, if anyone remembers that old song, Psalm 6930. <laughs> I will praise God's name with song. I will magnify God with thanks. Psalm 106.1 Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord because he is good. Because his faithful love endures forever. Another song if you know it. Daniel 2.23 Daniel 2.23 I acknowledge and praise you, my Father's God. You've given me wisdom and might, and now you've made known to me what we asked of you. You've made known to us the king's demand. Ephesians 5. <laughs> Don't get drunk on wine, which produces depravity. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit in the following ways. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Always give thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all your requests to God. <laughs> Can you put that the rest of that scripture up there? I'm reading off the screen, Rob. Thank you. Try that again. Philippians 4. Hmm. It's not working, is it? No. Let's move forward. Then the peace of God will that exceeds all understanding will. Yeah, Sharia, why don't you why don't there you just go. there we go. There we go. Thank you. Don't be anxious about anything. 
Rather, bring up all your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. Then the peace of God that exceeds all understanding will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, uh, excuse me, Colossians 2, Colossians 2. There we go. So live in Christ Jesus the Lord in the same way as you received be rooted and built up in him, be established in faith, and overflow with thanksgiving, just as you were taught. And now Colossians 3. 15 through 17. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body. And be thankful people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with the gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. First Thessalonians 5. First Thessalonians 5. How about Hebrews 13? We're putting a lot on you, Rob. It's okay. I know. It's okay. Well, those are just two other scriptures that talk about thankfulness. We don't have to put those up there, Rob. Thank you for your work tonight. So what I heard in those scriptures is when we are in Christ, we will practice gratefulness. We will practice being grateful and being ungrateful. Basically, can I bring up Kant? Immanuel Kant. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. What All right. Got? Said this ungratefulness is the essence of vileness, mm -hmm. is the essence of vileness. Gratitude or ungratitude is the most horrible and unnatural crime that a person is capable of committing. Hmm. Pretty strong words. Uh, yeah. I would have to say that a practice for us tonight would be, and I would encourage each one of us, let's land, come off the slide and land in the pool and kind of bask in this. That if we would focus on the positive natures of God, we would focus on the positive values and virtues of the Creator and the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God, I believe that our Christianity would look much different. Our Christianity would look much, much more gracious, much less, I want to get the heck off of this planet and go to heaven and more of a curator of creation, a curator of relationships with others, some self-care, and honoring God for the loving nature that God is. Because God is good, you are good, I am good, and we're all moving towards something that is good, and that is tov ma'ov, 
That is very, very, very beautiful. And I hope that you focus this week on the beauty of things and don't get trapped in the essence of vileness, that we would focus on the essence of gratitude. The disposition of the soul, the memory of the heart, that we would focus on those things this week. All right, that's all we have time for, really. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being with me, Sheree and Jake. Sheree, you sound like you want to say one last word. Say it. Well, I, th I think we forgot an announcement at the beginning. Oh, we did. We, we can did. bring it back around and, you know, talk about community building. Yes. Yeah, so, so here is Summers um, at Resonate. Summers with Resonate, our church. Um, we are doing... Uh, some dinner churches through the summer. So every other week, starting this week. Uh, so this week we meet at five o'clock out on the patio of our of our building. Um, and so if you want to come down five o'clock, uh, you don't really have to bring anything except yourself. We're going to have a lot of good food and drink down there. And we're going to hang out and actually do church. So we're not going to just eat together. We're going to do more than just eat together. And we're going to break bread together and have communion and some worship and some devotion, uh, devotional thoughts. So we're actually going to do something besides eat. Uh, so it's called Dinner Church every other week starting this week at 5 o'clock. So the next week we're meeting at our building at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then the following week, we're having dinner church. And the following week, we're meeting at 10 o'clock in the morning at our building. So if you get it every other week, and I know that's going to be difficult for some because people are just going to be confused because people get confused um, easily around me. Um, but anyway, so we're, we're meeting today, uh, this Sunday at 5 o'clock p.m., Pacific Standard Time. And I'm really grateful for Dinner Church because there are some people that have not been able to attend Resonate because they work on Sunday morning. And this week, they've already communicated to us that they're showing up at Dinner Church. And that's really awesome that they're able to come. So with that, can I see your faces again? Thanks for joining us, you two. I'm really glad that you uh, gave your thoughts very profound intellectual and thought-provoking and meaningful i'm really grateful for both of you um as leaders in the church so with that good night everybody thanks for joining us uh tune in next week uh thursday at 8 30 pacific standard time we'll be finishing up atlas of the heart next week and moving into our summer series where we're going to do a deeper dive on the women of the bible so we're going to be covering the women of the bible all for the rest of the summer and i'm pretty excited about that series so that's where we're headed next all right with that good night good night